Um, I am doing a series right now on uh, the New Covenant. And uh, one of the reasons why I, I felt led to go back into this, I know I've done uh, several teachings on this, on the law versus the New Covenant and what the New Covenant means. And I think I did a little over a year ago, I did a two-part series on what the New Covenant is. But I crammed a lot of information into two sermons that sometimes we just have to have it re communicated, rethought through. Otherwise, we, we miss it. Does that make sense? And, and the more I realize and more I study on the new covenant, the more I realize it is a foundational part for us to understand of where we stand today as believers. If we do not understand that the difference between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace and what God has for us and what the new covenant, what brought about the new covenant, can anybody tell me? Come on. This is a simple answer. Jesus. Thank you. We all know Jesus, Jesus. He is risen. We have it on Jesus, Savior. We have Jesus, celebrate Jesus. And we have all these things about Jesus. But do we really know what that really means? Yes, we know he came and he died on the cross to save us. But what does that do beyond just saving us and getting us to heaven? Come on. What does he, does it, did it just stop there and now we're just going to suffer through our lives here on earth? Or does it have meaning for us today in how we live day-to-day life? Come on. We don't live under the law. Under the law, it had a totally different um, uh, terms to, to, the, to the covenant than what the covenant that we have today. Yet so many, and we're gonna get, I'm getting into a little bit of my sermon, but so many today believers are living, we live under the terms of grace, the covenant, the new covenant that Jesus brought about for us, but we're still living under the terms of the old covenant, trying to live by the law. And there's a meshing, a blending together of the two covenants, and they were never meant to be brought together. They were never meant to work together. There's a totally new terms with the new covenant. Yet we so many times are trying to live under the law, saying we're under the covenant of grace, the new covenant of grace, which is what we live under today as we're saved through Jesus Christ. But we stop there and we disqualify all the things that Jesus did for us under that new covenant. And we try to go back to the old covenant living by the law. And we're going to be miserable, miserable people, miserable as believers. So I want to recap last week a couple verses here. Hebrews 6 verse 20 says, Where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become our high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That name that my wife tried to say earlier but could not. The order of Melchizedek. And why is it important for us to understand that we, Jesus came from the order of Melchizedek? Because under the order of Aaron, which is what all the priests came through and the law came through, that is what was established as the, the law came through the order of Aaron, the Levitical law of Aaron. And so the priestly line of Aaron. And so Jesus did not come from that line. Why is that important? Because if he did, he would still be under the law. But with him being from a different line or different order, being from blessing, blessing is what Melchizedek represented. He represented blessing. All he brought was blessing, and he came from that line. So it's critical for us to understand that because he did not come from the normal lineage of priesthood, he did not bring the law. He brought only blessing, which is what Jesus did for us. And so it's critical for us to understand it. Hebrews, then read down in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. It says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, 
What further need was there for another priest should that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So Jesus is our high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It's critical for us to understand that because it means that he only brings blessing and not a is not under the law and did not bring the law to us. So what is the importance? Why is this important for Jesus in our as our high priest, called according to Melchizedek and not according to the law of Aaron. Because under the priesthood of Aaron, the people received and were under the law. The people received and were under the law. So Jesus not being from that order means that we're now under a new order and a new law. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12, it says, For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So since the priesthood was changed, there is now necessity. There is also a change of the law. No longer we under the law. So because Jesus is our high priest, because of Jesus our highest priest, we are no longer under the law. And that basically wraps up what I shared with you last week. The beauty of the fact that we are no longer under the old priesthood that Jesus, Jesus came from a new priesthood. Jesus came from a different line. And so there's a new law. Under the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai, and we all know the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, it says the Ten Commandments were given, and under those Ten Commandments, and that was just ten of them, there are over 600 in total laws that were given to the Jews. But of those ten, you know, we all know that were given at Mount Sinai, or in order to keep the blessings of God flowing, you would have to keep all the law. Blessings for obedience and a curse for disobedience. That was based upon that law. You were blessed if you walked in those laws, and you were there was a curse connected if you disobeyed the law. How many of you know that if we try to fall under that, we will always fall short? And many times, we would preach that. But actually, I have preached that. Years ago, I preached a message about how we need to get back to and bring back the Ten Commandments. And I did a, had stickers that I handed out to everybody, and we posted the Ten Commandments. And there was posters that we put in the front yards that were, we stand for the Ten Commandments. Come on, remember that? Do you remember that? And I, while I understand the importance of what it stands for, the law is perfect, the law is holy, the, holy is, the law is righteous, and it was meant for a purpose. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But it was never meant for us as believers to try to live under. Because we live under a new covenant. Come on. That was never meant for us. But I want you to look for a moment at what it looked like for the people when they lived under that law. And I want to look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'm not going to read it all. But it is a little bit lengthy here, so um, follow along if you have your Bibles, because I don't know if Eli can possibly keep up. But anyway, I'm joking. Deuteronomy chapter, t- chapter 28, and this is talking about the blessings on obedience. The blessings that were connected to your obedience. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So it was contingent upon what? Your critical observation and obedience of the law. 
That was what it was based upon, the blessings. And here are the blessings. Verse 3, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of the ground, and the increase of your herbs, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall you be your basket, and blessed shall, uh, blessed and, the, and your kneading bowl. In other words, what all these represented, today we go, what the heck is that? But the truth of it is, they represented our work. They represented the things that we touched, the food that we produced, the things, anything that we touched was going to produce and it was going to be blessed. Come on. Anything that we touched was going to be blessed. Verse 6, blessed shall you be when you come in. And blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. And that they shall fall out against you one way and flee from you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand. And you will, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. I'm going to, for time's sake, jump down to verse 13 because it continues talking about all the blessings, but for time's sake, I'm going to keep it moving here. Verse 13, and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be over, be above, shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or the left to go after other gods to serve them. So these are the blessings, and it goes on and on. There was many verses there that talked about the blessings that are come through our obedience, observing, carefully observing. And I love how it brought out the details there. If you carefully observe and obey these commandments, this was what it was like being under that law. Starting with verse 15, and I'm gonna, only going to read the first four verses. It says, but it shall be, and this is the curses on obedience, but it shall Come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and produce of your hand, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. And it goes on a total of 53 verses talking about the curses that will be upon you. I read four. 53 verses that talk about, that you can read on on your own time, that talks about the curse that you will be under. And it talks about everything that you touch. Your enemies will come at you. When it talked about on the blessing side, if you observe it, your, bless, your enemies will run from you, flee from you in different directions. And it will fall before your face. But when you're under the curse, they will come at you from all different directions. And you'll be defeated. And it talks about until you are deceased, until you're killed. So it talks about all the different things. So immediately after the law, the Ten Commandments were given. It's, in, it's interesting. In Exodus chapter 20, we know the Ten Commandments are written out and they're given on Mount Sinai. But... Whenever they were given on Mount Sinai, God gave immediately instructions to build an altar. 
Immediately after the law was given, he instructed them to build an altar. And he gave them clear instructions. He went into extreme detail. And I'm going to just read one little part of it here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24. It says, An altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you, and I will what? Bless you. So if they built this, if they built this altars and they offered sacrifices on it, there was a blessing. But it was connected to the what? To the offering. So there was critical terms here that they had to understand that they had to live by under the law. Now they had to obey the law to the very best of their ability. And where you come up short, you had to offer sacrifices. Come on. And then you would be blessed based upon your sacrifices, that you, your offerings that you offered. So they were, they were to build an altar, present a sacrifice on that altar, and he would bless you through that sacrifice. This is the old covenant. He would bless you through that sacrifice. God knew that man could not obey or keep the law. I mean, you realize that. Otherwise, he would have never immediately following giving the Ten Commandments. They hadn't even had a chance to break them. Do you understand what I'm saying? He hadn't even had a chance to break the law, and he was already establishing a way to reconcile through the sacrifices, build an altar, because he knew that there was no way that man. How many of you know, every last one of us, when we try to fall under the law, God knows that there's no way we can stand up or keep the law. We can do our very best, but we will always fall short of trying to keep the law, to be righteous through the law. James 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, Jesus brought this out, and he said, in other words, this is brought out by, uh, yeah, it was Jesus that said that if you break even one of the commandments, that you've broken them all, making it virtually impossible for man to stand. So there was a point. Why did God bring the Ten Commandments? Why did he bring the law in the first place? I'm going to come off my notes just for a moment here because I, cut, I hit on this for a moment back um, a little over a year ago, but I went very quickly. I'm going to go back to it just for a moment because I, I believe it's critical. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they, <clears throat> they were given instructions and there was only one instruction that they were not to do. They were given freedom in the entire garden, correct? But the one instruction they were, they were not to do was not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you could find any law in that time, that was the only rule. That was the only law that they were given. It wasn't called a law, but that was the only thing that they were given that they could not touch of. The only rule was to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But yet... In that moment, that was the only thing. What was the one thing that the enemy... Remember, the enemy is the accuser at law. He's the accuser at law. So the only thing he can use against us is the law. So what did he hit Adam and Eve at? You think about the fact that if that the enemy wanted to really take out mankind, why did he not tempt Adam to kill Eve or Eve to kill Adam? There was only two people. You know, you can't have a... Mankind, if they can't reproduce, if you take out one of them, you can't reproduce another, right? So he could have taken out mankind completely if he could have just tempted him to kill one of them. 
But that was not one of the laws, so therefore the enemy could not contempt them on, on um, murder. Does that make sense? The only thing he could tempt them in was in the, in the thing of eating of that, of that uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. So that was the only area, and that was what they fell into. So if there was ever a covenant, God said, do not eat of that tree. That was where the enemy struck them at. That was where the enemy hit them, was in that one area. Now when you move forward into the, into the um, Mosaic law that was given at Mount Sinai, whenever that was given, the, the establishment of the terms at that point was now, if you've broken one of the laws, even in just one point, according to the scripture, you are guilty of them all. So it makes us, it helps us understand that it was virtually impossible for mankind based upon the law. Now let me ask you, if the Ten Commandments had not been given, the law had not been given, and Jesus had come along and said, hey, I'm here to save you of all your sins. I'm here to save you. People would have looked at it and said, what are you saving us from? There's no law to tell us that we've fallen short, that we can't live up to a standard of righteousness. Come on, right? It's only by the law that we understand that we need a Savior. And that's what's brought out in James, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? What purpose then does the law serve? Verse 10, it says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of them all. Next verse, sorry, that was the last one. Galatians 3, 24. So what is the purpose does the law serve? It says, therefore, the law was our what? Tutor. To bring us to Christ. In other words, we would never know that we need a Savior except for it was by the law. We never would know. We would never know that we fall short until we realized it's only by the law that we understand. So it is a tutor. What does a tutor do? Let's break this down. If you have a tutor, you hire a tutor for your child, what do they do? They teach. Repetition. Over and over. They teach you. They teach you until you get it, right? It's a process. It's a process. They keep going over it because obviously the three or four times that the teacher went over it wasn't enough. So you now have to have a tutor that comes in and continues to drill it over and over. My children, I, I do this because if they're still struggling at the end of the day in a class or in, in a lot of times it's math, we'll pull out flashcards, multiplication flashcards. You know, you remember them, right? And I'll sit there and I'll do the flashcards. We'll just keep doing it. We'll keep doing it. Or I'll do it with um, Judah or Caleb. I'll do the flashcards, the A, Apple, B, you know going through the flashcards, learning their letters, learning the multiplication. We continue to drill it until we get it. That is what a tutor does. It continues to drill us with the understanding that we fall short. So verse 24 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to what? To bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now look at verse 25. But after faith has come, in other words, once you know Christ, once you have said, hey, I need a Savior, once you, but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or the law, the teacher. In other words, that law was to what? Teach us and to show us that we need a Savior. Once we come to Christ, we are no longer under that law. 
But so many times we get saved and we've been, for some reason, we've been taught this, that we get saved and okay, now your sins of your past are fixed, but now you need to live by the law. Wow. What a hard thing to come under. What a hard thing to come under. And we all know we're guilty by the law. So what does that do? There again, it disconnects us from Jesus and what he's done for us. So, but after faith has come, we are no longer under the law. Under the law, God knew that man could not keep the law. So he instructed the building of altars. Going back to this thing, he instructed them to build altars, to sacrifice offerings, and then he would bless them through the offerings. The blessings were connected to the offerings that they sacrificed. The people in the Old Testament weren't blessed because they kept the law. They were blessed through the offerings. They were blessed through the offerings. Many times they go, well, hold it. Weren't people still blessed? That's right. They were blessed. Jesus gave a temporary fix. A temporary. It was only good. Many times the offerings were only good for one year. That was all it was good for. It only lasted every year they had to do an atonement. In fact, there were some of the stories that were talked about. I think Job did sacrifices and brought offerings for him and even his children. Isn't that interesting? So there were sacrifices that were given yearly as an atonement for their falling short of their sin, of the law. Falling short of the law because they were under the old covenant. Now, it's interesting because these are the terms of the old covenant, or we could call it the old agreement. How many of you, um, if you rent something, how many of you ever rented something, whether it be from a rent-to-own uh, a furniture store, or maybe you rent rented a house or something, there's a, this thing called a contract or a rental agreement. I am familiar with this because we have several rental houses. We have a rental contract or rental agreement that we always give the person. I was going to bring one and have it posted, but I don't have a scanner to put it up there. So anyway, but you know what you're talking about, what I'm talking about there. It's a, it's a contract, and in that contract or in that agreement, there are terms, right? Oftentimes it's in the small print, but the terms are there of what will happen, what's your part, and what's their part. And it, the terms in that, it also specifies how it will be walked out and what happens if you don't do your part and what happens if you do do your part and what their part is. These are the terms to the agreement, right? How I many are familiar with this, right? And so, <laughs> Trent raises his hand. So these are the terms. So in the old agreement, under the old covenant, there was a blessing for obedience. These are the terms. And a curse for disobedience. Under the old covenant agreement of the law, the terms of the agreement were a blessing based upon obedience and a curse based upon our disobedience. Obey the law, the Ten Commandments, to the best of your ability. Sacrifice offerings for where you fall short and you'll be blessed. But that was a major, major deal. And it still didn't cover you permanently. And so here's the deal. God looked at that old covenant and he said, there's fault in it. There's fault in this old covenant. Under the new covenant of grace, God says, I'm going to make a new agreement with you. I'm going to make a new agreement with you. A new covenant 
that will not be according to the old covenant. I want you to catch that because it's critical for us to understand the new covenant is not based upon the old covenant that we just saw. I, I wanted to draw a clear picture of what the old covenant looked like. But under the new covenant, it says he said that he will make a new covenant that has nothing a likeness to it. There's no likeness of the old covenant. The new covenant, the new agreement is going to be made with new terms. The problem is many believers today are trying to live under the new covenant, living under the old terms of the old covenant. We're trying to live as Christians expecting blessings and favor because we talk about all that Jesus has done, but still go home and try to live by the law, the old terms. You know, this is about as crazy as a story I once saw a picture of where a lady was trying to figure out these newfangled machines and she had a record player. Now, I know this is dating, but she had a record player and all she was used to was these vinyl records. And her grandson come over and he brought these compact discs and couldn't figure out how to use this compact disc. So she took it and flipped it over and put it on her record player and could not get it to work. Can you imagine trying to get a CD to work on a vinyl record player? How silly, right? We all laugh at that. Or trying to put a cassette tape when they came out into an 8-track player. It doesn't work. You're trying to fit old terms into a new object. And an old product into a new machine. Are you understanding? It's about as crazy as trying to fit those together. They don't work together. They're not compatible. And see, we're under a new contract, a new agreement, a new covenant that he has given us. And if we try to go and fit the old terms, living under those old terms, do you know what? We go around trying to expect good things, blessings and favor. But immediately what happens is we feel disqualified because we're trying to live under the old terms, meaning walking by the law. Trying to be righteous through our works. If I just do more, if I just do more. And it doesn't work. We're trying to believe for healing and talk about we're a church that believes in the manifestation of the presence of God. But if you're still living under the law and still trying to do it by the law and by your works, let me tell you, those will not manifest in your life. We will not have those manifest because we're still trying to do it through ourselves. Do you see the picture of how when we walk under the law, we're trying to do it in and of ourselves. And God says, I want to manifest my presence, but all I want you to do is give glory to my son. But if you try to do it through your works, who gets the glory? I'm walking righteous. I'm walking righteous. Now, God, give me this. Who's going to get the glory? If I'm doing it through my works, if God manifests his presence, who's going to get the glory? Is it any wonder that we don't receive in today's society as believers, as Christians, and the church is not walking in the fullness of what God has for us? Because we're still trying to walk under the law. Still trying to walk under the old terms in a new contract. Every single, every single item that you try to rent has a different type of contract. You can't take the contract from one and just roll it over to another. It doesn't apply. The rules don't apply. If I try to rent a TV from American Rental, it'll have totally different terms than what renting a house will. Come on. 
The terms aren't the same. They're not compatible. And so we got to understand that the terms are going to be different. Under the new covenant of grace, God says, I'm going to make a new agreement with you. A new covenant that will not be according to the old covenant. The new covenant, the new agreement is going to be made with new terms. Over and over we see believers who are trying to fit the old terms into the new covenant. All right, I'm going to move ahead. I'm sorry. Let's look at Hebrews. How many of you guys want to see the new covenant? I want to see the new covenant because it specifies and it draws it out for us and seeing what the new covenant is. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. We're going to look at it here. It says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. Let's talk about Jesus. Inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So a more excellent ministry, a better covenant, and based upon better promises. That's what the new covenant is. We could try to live under the old one, but think about how much better the new one is. It has a more excellent ministry. Hey, I would take that excellent ministry of what God has for us. When he ministers to us, it's going to be good. It's more excellent. He ministers to us in a way that... Now think about this. The children of Israel had incredible blessings. They had, they, while they were in the desert... They had a pillar of fire that protected them and gave them warmth at night, a cloud by day to protect them from the hot sun. They, they went to the Red Sea, and it parted. Look at how excellent that ministry was. And it says this one is even going to be a more excellent ministry. Come on. A more excellent ministry. The things that God is going to do. Inasmuch as he is a mediator, mediator of a better covenant. Jesus is our mediator, and it's a better covenant. And it says, which was established on better promises. His promises are no longer a curse based upon our obedience. But it's now all blessings. All blessings. I want to read this in uh, the Amplified, this verse 6. Hebrews 8, verse 6. It says, but as it... As it is now, I'm sorry, but as it now is, he, Christ, has acquired a priestly ministry which is as much superior and more excellent than the old. As the covenant, the agreement of which he is the mediator, the arbiter, agent, is superior and more excellent because it is enacted and rests upon more important, sublimer, higher, and nobler promises. In other words, it is altogether better. The new covenant is altogether. There's nothing in it that he did not improve upon. Now, you know what? I don't know about the rest of you, but I love the new conveniences and the modern conveniences and all the nice luxuries that are in the new cars. Don't you? 
Have you seen some of the new ones? You get into the car and all you got to do is have the thing in your pocket and it automatically is on. All you got to do is push a button. You don't have to have a key to stick into the ignition or anything like that. You talk to it and tell it where you want it to go or talk to it. And you, you don't have to have a cell phone in your car anymore. It automatically hooks up directly to your cell phone. It automatically does all these things. You don't have to. They are incredible conveniences. How many of you know every year they come out with a new car and it has even more modern conveniences? Things that it does. Come on. It's similar to that right there. We can keep the old car. You can keep the old conveniences, which were great in its time. Come on. The old covenant was incredible at its time. But it just doesn't do it. Comparison. The new covenant is that much better. It's so much greater. So, let's look at verse 7. The new covenant. So, if the first covenant had been faultless. If the what? the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So what was the fault? What was the fault with the old covenant? He said, if there had not been fault found in the old covenant, there would have never been a place for a second. According to Romans chapter 7, the law was good, it was holy, it was perfect. There was nothing wrong with the law in and of itself. The fault with the law was that man could not keep it. The children of Israel could not keep it. After coming out of, out of, uh, out of, out of Egypt and going through Mount Sinai, getting the, receiving the law, they could not keep it. Mankind could not keep the law. We cannot keep the law. The law was not given to make man holy, righteous, or perfect. That was never the intention. The law was given to bring man to the end of his self-effort. The law was given to be a schoolmaster to show you your need of a Savior. It was to bring us to the end of ourselves to realize that I need a Savior. Outside of Jesus Christ, I will never be able to be righteous. It's receiving something that makes us right standing today. That we could not get through in and of the law. In and of the law, there was constantly being an atonement. All the time, there were sacrifices. There were sacrifices. There was offering being given as an atonement for sin. So what did Jesus have to do? He had to make a way. This is jumping ahead a little bit, but he had to make a way for us to be able to be the beneficiaries of all the goodness of what God has done Without having to do anything. He had to remove us and yet still make us the beneficiaries. Because we could not live up to the standard. And that's what God had to do. It was a schoolmaster to bring us to the end of ourselves. So let's look at verse 7 again. The new covenant. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says. Who found fault with it? God did. God found the fault with it. He saw, hey, there was fault in that, in that covenant. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So it's not according to the covenant that was found early on at Mount Sinai. 
in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. So the picture here is that the reason why is not because we come up short. We could not keep the law. What it brings out is the, is the fact that he could not bless his people. He had to disregard his chosen people. How many of you know God is good and he wants to bless his children? But he was not able to under the old covenant because we could not keep the law. Now, if you want to go back to that contract where God cannot bless us because we're trying to do it in and of ourselves, you go right ahead. Do you see the picture here? God wants to bless us. He wants to be a good God who constantly is pouring out his blessings. But he can't when we're trying to live under our own efforts, under the law and the old covenant. So there's a picture here. He said it's not going to be, the new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant. The new covenant is not going to be like the old covenant where what he does, what God does, is based upon what you do. That was the old covenant. Because under the law, he says, I will do based upon what you do. We've all believed this way. If I'm good, God will be good to me. No, the fact of the matter is God is good regardless. Many times we believe, well, if I, if I can be good, if I can walk it out, if I, can, if I can walk all the things out. Let me ask you something. Can you believe for God's favor today if you walk out the door and blow it majorly? Come on. I find that it, it's our natural tendency because it's so hard to believe that it has nothing to do with us. Every time we walk out the door, we have to consciously think, God, I thank you that it's not through me, it's through you. In the midst of, I know this sounds cliche because we've used this line so many times, but in the midst of us stumbling or falling short in our lives, we need to be reminded that I am the righteousness of God, not through me, but through Jesus Christ. I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, not through me. I have to be reminded of that because otherwise I go, well, I'm not righteous then because of what I just did. No, that's not the case. Your righteousness is not based upon you. It's based upon what Jesus did. And that is such an amazing thing. Realizing that today when you walk out that door, if you blow it, you're not disqualified. I'm not disqualified from the blessing and the favor that God has for us. We're not disqualified. Why? Because of Jesus. God's plan for the new covenant is to take us out of the center of the equation, yet be beneficiaries of what he has done. Take us out of the equation. Because, see, if he blesses based upon us, that's going back to the law. He has to take us out of the way so that he can bless us regardless of what we do. That's his plan. That's the plan of the new covenant. And that's what his plan is for us today. But we have a part, and I want you to see this here. Read verse 10. Read on in verse 10 of the new covenant. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. Who? God. He says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for I shall know, they shall know me, for all shall know me. From the least 
of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, one of the things that I found is that as I studied that, it says there at the beginning of verse 12, leave that up there. It says, for I will be merciful. But actually, the, when you go back into the Greek and Hebrew, it's because. One of the things that we must understand is this, because I will be merciful. Why are we not disqualified? Because he is merciful to our unrighteousness and our sins and our lawless deeds. He says, I will remember no more. Now, if that's the case, when you walk out the door today, because every last one of us, we know we fall short according to the law. Based upon the law, when you blow it today, later on today, because every last one of us will, whether we have an aggravating thought towards somebody because they didn't say hi to me when we walk out, or whether we get aggravated on our way home because somebody cuts us off, or whether the pastor preaches too long and you have hunger pains that you can't handle, whatever it may be. The fact of the matter is when we have any kind of thought, he says if you failed in one, you've broken them all. Based upon the law, when you fail, are you still righteous? According to this verse, he says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember most of the time. No. He says, I will remember no more. Never. Done. Dealt with. Complete. Finished. No more. And I love that picture. The old covenant says, I will if you will. The new covenant says, I will, I will, I will. Over and over in those verses, it, it takes us out of the equation and puts Jesus as the one who's going to do it for us. It, it has to be. He says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. God is a just and a righteous God. He is a righteous, holy, and just. Any judge who were to not be justified in not, not uh, ruling righteously over sin is not a just God. If we went in and there was a, uh, a burglar who burglarized my house, and he went before the judge, and the judge says, are you sorry? And he says, yeah, I'm sorry. He says, okay, you're free to go. I would be like, that's unjust. How's that fair? Right? Somebody has to pay. How many of you know that Jesus, God is righteous in what he did right here? He didn't just randomly decide to close his eyes on what you do. When you fall short, we're talking about situations, even today, I gave some examples. When you get angry with me for preaching long, Jesus, God is not just overlooking your anger. He looks at Jesus and he sees us righteous. He looks to Jesus and he sees us righteous. He says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Under the law, he said, and this is an example. I want you to think about this for a moment. Under the law, this is what happens. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Under the new covenant, he says, as I have loved you, so also you should love others. In other words, the picture here is that he will write these laws. There are still laws that he's going to write upon our hearts. There's still things that God's going to write upon our hearts. The things like this example right here. Under the old law, he says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I don't know about you, but that could be good some days and it could be bad some days. You might be at the brunt end of some bad things if I don't feel good about myself. Right? But under the new covenant, he writes this upon our hearts. He says, love others as I have loved you. Oh, well, that's a, 
that's an example. If I find myself not loving Tom or not loving you or not loving world or not loving others, it's a reflection of me not receiving the Father's love. It's a reflection of where I'm at in having the Father's love. If I'm struggling in that area, the best thing I could do is go and continue to see and, and meditate upon the love of God that he has for us through what is did through Jesus and sending his son to die for us. The best thing you could do is meditate upon Jesus because it changes our perspective. You cannot help but receive, when you receive the Father's love, the love others around us. How many of you notice, and a great example of this, and I've mentioned it before, when you come into the presence of God and it's all strong, we had a good example of this at camp. The presence of God was so strong, it was moving upon hearts. People were, kids were crying. There was, there was incredible ministering going on by the presence of God. We got done with the service, and all the youth were just like hugging on each other and loving on each other and crying on shoulders, and I love you, man, I love you. They were yelling at each other earlier that day, but they were loving each other that night. The presence of God brings a love that you cannot even understand in the natural. Everybody but Josh. <laughs> I'm joking. But the fact of the matter is, that's what the presence of God does. When we get a picture and receive the Father's love, we cannot help but love others in a correct way. Under the old covenant, you were led by the law. Under the new covenant, we are led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us. So there's a difference. There's new things that are written upon our hearts. Now we have compared, one of the things that we've done is we've compared the new covenant to a contract agreement. A contract specifies the responsibilities of all parties involved in the agreement. Right? A contract specifies what the agreement is by everybody involved in that contract. If you have a rental agreement on, when you're purchasing, it specifies what your responsibility is and what their responsibility is. Now, one of the things that I want to draw here is as a believer, based on the new covenant, the new agreement, our only part is to believe. Our only part is to believe. It's not a works thing. It's not anything that you can do to achieve. In other words, our responsibility is not to try to do it or be righteous or right standing to be able to, re, uh, to, to receive the benefits of what God has for us. We talk about the favor and the blessing of God. Every time we come in here, we talk about the favor. I am blessed and we can believe for favor and we have a hope of what Jesus has done for us and all the things that come as benefits of what Jesus has done for us. But that is all benefits that are written into that agreement. Are you understanding what I'm saying there? These are all benefits. And what we must do, our only part that we must understand, our only part is to believe. Now, I have a question for you. As a believer under the new covenant, what should you be believing? What's the critical part for you to believe? What's the critical part for you to believe? I want you to think about that for a moment pop quiz. What's your part to believe? What should you believe based upon verse 12? Can anybody tell me? Based upon verse 12, what should we be believing? Our part is to believe that he will be merciful to our unrighteousness and our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more. 
If you don't believe that, then you cannot receive the benefits. Because if you can't believe that verse is for you personally, that he will remember your sins no more. That he will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins, your lawless deeds, he will remember no more. If you cannot believe that, then you've got to believe that it's still about you. You've got to believe that you're still at the center of the equation. And under the new covenant, we've been removed from it, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He took us out of the center of the equation, and he put Jesus in the center of the equation, who was the perfect sacrifice. He went to the cross gladly for us because he knew what it would do for us. He says he went gladly for us. Why? Because he knew the benefits that would come under the new covenant that he was making a way for. Remember when we partake of the, of the, of the bread and the, and the juice, which represents his blood? He says, I'm making a new covenant with you. Why is that blood so important? Because when he shed his blood, we were put into a new covenant that all it stands for, all that stands for us, all that's coming to us is the blessings. He says, I will, I will, I will, I will. No longer do we stand in line for the curse. The curse is over. It's broken. And all that comes to us is the blessings. Believe that he, has, that he will be merciful to your unrighteousness and believe that the sins and your lawless deeds he will remember no more. If not, you're, you're, you'll believe it's still about you, your works, your self-efforts. But see, the fact of the matter is it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's critical for us to understand that. So today, when we leave here today, realize that we're standing under a new covenant. Don't try to go back to the old agreement don't try to go back. I drew a picture of it today. I hate drawing pictures of, of the Ten Commandments and really what it's like trying to live under the law, but I wanted you to see a picture of what the Old Covenant really looked like. There had to be sacrifices constantly giving, given as an offering, as an atonement, and they were only good for one year. Now I'm going to hit on one more thing since I have time, unless that clock's wrong. It's right. Man, Trent wants me to let it out now. Let me say something here. Under the old covenant, the blood of bulls and goats was good for one year. How long is Jesus' blood good for? Forever. Now, I want to ask you a question. Because Jesus' blood was good forever. It covers us, our past, our present, and our future. If you believe that you've got to confess... And I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. If you believe that you've got to confess your sins to be able to be forgiven, who does that put it back on? I used to go to bed at night and not be able to sleep because I was thinking, did I confess every sin that I had? I used to think, am I, am, I, am I going to be okay if I don't wake up during the night and I go to heaven? If I were to die, everybody's heard the altar call. If you die tonight, where will you... I used to go to sleep haunted by that. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because we can have a full assurance of our salvation. Under the new covenant, we can have a full assurance of our salvation. Because Jesus' blood was sufficient, past, present, and future, and it covers us completely. Under the old covenant, you didn't have that assurance. It was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time. Jesus' blood was sufficient to cover us forever as we continue to believe that he is a righteous God and that he will be merciful to our unrighteousness and our sins and our lawless deeds, he will remember no more.
he will remember no more, even the ones that happened today. The reason why this is important, and I know that what's going through your mind, and I've had people say this, if you don't struggle with this, thank you. I'm glad. But if, if you have, here's one of the number one struggles that people have is, well, what about the sin? Does it just not happen? Do we, not, do we have no awareness of the sin? The truth of the matter is the more we are aware of sin, the more sin comes to life in our lives. It says it came to life as we're more aware of the law. It's law it's sin is only a, a known to us by the law. So the more we know sin, the more we're aware of the fact that we're falling short by the law. But actually, the true reality is the more good Jesus conscious you are and less sin conscious you are, the more you will be set free. Freedom does not come through the law and through the sin consciousness. Freedom from sin comes through meditating and seeing the fullness of what Jesus has done. He is the delivering factor. He is the delivering factor. Guess what? You ever seen the show, The Weakest Link? Guess what? In this equation, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Come on. You've seen the game show. We are the weakest link. And Jesus, God took us out of the equation and put Jesus as that link. No longer are we the weakest link unless you want to put yourself there. Amen? Let's stand. I just want you to be blessed. I want us to be aware. I hope this isn't the heavy message today, but I want us to be aware of what the new covenant, but we got to see a picture of what the old covenant looked like to realize the benefits and incredible good things that happen through the new covenant for us as believers. We have been removed from the equation and Jesus has been put in our place to be beneficiaries of all the great things that God has for us. Today, we can walk out of here knowing that we are in right standing with God. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are righteous today through the blood of Jesus. Our responsibility is simply to believe. To simply believe that he will be merciful to our unrighteousness. And our sins and our lawless deeds he will remember no more. Just close your eyes just for a moment. Father God, Lord, I just pray that, Lord, even as we leave this place today, Father, Lord, I pray that we would continue to meditate upon this, Father God, that we are the righteousness of God that we are, your, we are the righteous through, the, through Jesus and what he's done for us. The blood of Jesus was sufficient. And Father God, you are, Father God, in the center of this equation that we've been taken out. So Father, I pray that we would continue to meditate upon this, Father God. Lord, that as we continue to see the fullness of what you've done for us at the cross, that Father God, we would continue to be set free from the things that hold us back. Lord, I pray and I speak a blessing over each and every person as we go today. Lord, that we would walk in the blessing and the favor, that we continue to walk in the hope and a positive expectation of the good things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it and we give you the praise. Amen.